We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 375 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and as you'll hear me mention a bunch in this show, tomorrow we are doing a full show all about Barca's finances. It's going to be an exhaustive and comprehensive experience, so there won't be much talk about Jules Koundé, maybe a little bit obviously financially, or the friendly against Juve. So I thought I'd once again give you my thoughts on the game via the five headlines from yesterday, and before that, a special podcast edition of a Jules Koundé reaction. And by reaction, I mean the same one that I keep giving about this news. There was some time last week when I felt that Barca were indeed going to get what they wanted with Koundé. If they could afford him, and it seems they could, more on that tomorrow, that the player would stay in Spain. And as of an hour ago, Fabrizio Romano is reporting a verbal agreement is in place with Sevilla and things should be signed. Well, soon can be any amount of time looking at Gabriel Juno with that, but soon seems to actually have some clarity here. We already know that personal terms were agreed with Barca last week, but Xavi again got on the phone and got the player he wanted. And before we do the deep dive on Koundé on another show, I want to hit some of the other points first here. For starters, even if Xavi misses out on Aspilicueta and or Alonso, he got who he wanted this window. He got Kessier for his midfield. He got two center backs in Champions League winning Christensen and arguably La Liga's best defender for the last three seasons in Koundé, who can play at center back or right back. He got to keep the winner he wanted in Dembele, and he also got one of the top winger options, if not the top winger option on the market in Rafinha. And he got the guy who scored more goals than anybody else over the last three seasons in Robert Lewandowski. I think people may have seen this coming, but from the time when I did that Xavi's tactics video a few months ago when he was just announced to Barcelona, I've said that Xavi has a vision for the way he wants the team to play. And there are players that would fit that and players that wouldn't. And he basically got the upgrades to the team that we saw last season in half the positions on the field, plus getting Ansu and Pedri back, hopefully back, to full health. It's another year of Gabi, Nico, and Araujo, plus even more interior depth with Pablo Torre. While this project may take more time to put together and results won't always go Barca's way, the season is long and winding, we know that. This squad is talented enough that there will be a rightful pressure on Xavi. I mean, the board right now is getting killed for the spending, and it seems like they did it with Xavi's input every step of the way, which 
For anyone who's heard the show for five years, Francesca and I have just been pantomiming over and over and over again that if the manager and the board and the sporting director, if there's not synergy, if not a collaborative effort between all those different parties, it doesn't work out for any club. No club. It seems to work out if there is uh, either complete conflict between all those parties or, like Sevilla, if you don't just hand the keys over to a guy like Monchi and Monchi says, hey, whoever the manager may be, figure this out based on my vision for this team. That can also work too. But obviously, if a manager is the one just making those decisions, it usually doesn't work out. And, you know, Steve Kerr actually of the Golden State Warriors had a great thing about this a few months ago, well, right after they won the championship, when he was talking about Andre Iguodala. That Andre Iguodala, you know, that's his guy. That's his veteran. He never would have gotten rid of him when he was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies a few a few uh, years ago, rather, right after they, again, were pretty much done with their winning and they were in that lull period. And yet, in a move that eventually leads to Andrew Wiggins, who's a huge piece of the puzzle coming over from Minnesota after a few other moves, by the way, on the peripherals. And Iguodala gets a buyout, never plays in Memphis, refuses to go. That's a whole different thing. But then winds up back on that championship team. And then Steve Kerr kind of admitted he'd even been a GM for the Phoenix Suns in the past, but he never would have made the move. And managers have a hard time. They work with the players very intimately every week and every day. And so it's difficult to pull the trigger on certain players. I mean, there's a reason why that Xavi said, Demolay, I work with this kid. This is who I want. And even Frankie DeYoung, I think Xavi probably honestly believes that he doesn't want to have to see Frankie DeYoung go. He wants to find a way to fit him in this system, fit this in, in the program, because Xavi works with him every day and knows that he's a world-class player. But anyway, that was a different tangent there. So for other managers who don't have a clear vision or a beloved a status from Kool-Aid as Xavi does, I would probably be a bit more worried. But at least for this and next season, I expect that Xavi will get buy-in from the players and they'll still be playing for him. At least, you know, there will be fight for him, at least in Europe. And that will lead to results, I think, both in the league and Europe this season. And while I may be being overly optimistic, sure, but man, Kunde and Lewandowski are both really good. And this team was good enough to finish second in the league last year. And now they're deeper. I try not to get overzealous, and maybe I'll give specific expectations later, but quite frankly, I'm more excited for this season than any other that I've done while I've been doing this podcast for five years now. Even that first season that Francesca and I covered, Neymar forced his way out. The club brought in Demele, but still whiffed on Coutinho, a player that I didn't want. And everything felt unbalanced, even though they were less than two years removed from a Champions League win, and many of those players were still in their late 20s and at the peak of their powers. And lastly, in relation to this Kunde thing, and before we get to the Juve friendly, the Bordeaux part of the Kunde stuff is pretty miraculous. I mean, if you've been hearing anything about this story at all. So Bordeaux, a club founded 140 years ago in 1881, having won Ligue 1 six times as recently as 2009. And they've been somewhere around the first or second divisions for most of their history, starting in the 1940s when French football became a bit more professionalized and organized. So as far as where they finish in the league, I mean, I'd put them a little bit around that kind of Real Sociedad level. I mean, maybe even Real Betis, but obviously with Spain, there's a bit more of a monopoly or duopoly on the Liga title usually. But also too, unlike other leagues, a reminder that the French league has its giants, PSG being the weird, obvious, the, the weird obvious exception for the last few years, obviously. But speaking of Lyon, Marseille, and until this season when they were relegated, Saint-Étienne, but there are no historic Bayerns, Barca's, Madrid, or Man United's, or Arsenal's even. So French football and the league uh, title until PSG came along was always more of a true meritocracy from season to season. And Bordeaux earned it, as I said, on six occasions. But 
Like many of the French teams, COVID revenue losses hit hard, and losing Media Pro, the TV rights holder, forced Bordeaux to declare bankruptcy in April 2021. Last season, they also got relegated to Ligue 2 for the first time since 1991. Then in June, it was announced that they were. Then in June, it was announced that they would head down to the Nationale due to financial issues. Yet, as of today, that being as of literally today, they won their appeal and will remain in Ligue 2 for this coming season. And while a CVC deal was helpful and the new president's work in receiving a portion of the club's debt, some of that obviously was huge, probably the main factors, but they're also citing that the sale of Sekou Mara to Southampton, the sell-on fee for Chuamani, who went from Bordeaux to Monaco to Madrid, and then the 20% sell-on fee for Kunde from Bordeaux to Sevilla to Barca are enough to make that punishment excessive in court. That's why they won their appeal. So no, while the Kunde sale won't be directly responsible for saving Bordeaux, like some Kool-Aids might make you believe on the internet, but it did save them potentially from falling out of professional football. And it's certainly a considering factor in that appeals win. And the lesson there, I think, is that academies do matter. If not for bringing players to help the first team, you know, I was on Chuamani back in his Bordeaux days, by the way, I've got the YouTube receipts, but sell-on fees are essential in helping these clubs down the road. And hey, maybe when the next great Bordeaux player comes up through one of the two biggest academies in the southwest part of France, Toulouse, who developed Jean-Claude Didivo, is the other one, and Bordeaux and Toulouse having their big rivalry now likely in the second division, maybe Bordeaux will be willing to help out Barca again in the future, if you, you know what I'm saying, when Barca have a little bit to spend and Bordeaux might have a big academy product somewhere along the line. So We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'll mention in the match review, once again, a defender of Koundé's caliber. Felt like he was hanging over this match. Every mistake made by the Barcelona back line. When things are going well in the attack and Barcelona scoring goals, then people don't have to complain about Dembélé. I even saw complaints before Dembélé scored the two goals, by the way, but that's what happens. Koundé's complain, that's what they do. But because Barcelona also drew this match, they let up two goals, then all the iron, all the negativity that's necessary must go on that back line. And, you know, I know I won't be able to convince much of the fan base that Eric Garcia or Desk can be useful in any capacity at all. The online fan base has turned on them, and now they're dead where they stand. And honestly, I'm already a bit exhausted by that. I'm saying that to you here at the podcast listeners. You know that I try not to get too overly negative about certain players. And there are, yeah, there are ones that I've done the same to where I've said, I don't think they have it. I think it's over. I'm not going to talk about them. And you can tell I don't necessarily talk nasty about them. I just omit them from conversations if I don't really believe in them. But Kunde's arrival means that if Xavi doesn't deem them good enough, then that's the end of them. And it's Xavi's decision. But I just, once again, I feel for the two 21-year-olds 
who weren't given time. It's the same thing with Baldy. He's 18, and there are just so many online who've already said, nah, that kid, he doesn't have it. I don't see it. I mean, even in his preseason tour, he looks better defensively than he did in the scant appearance he made last year. And even what I saw for Barca B, I, I know not everybody was watching, but for Barca B, I thought he didn't really have it defensively. He didn't look like he was fully healthy last year ever, and he really hasn't been for two years. And if Baldi's actually healthy, yeah, maybe he's probably going to improve because he's 18 years old. So, you know, it's just one season like Garcia has gotten, or even two seasons like Des has gotten. And I just feel like we're just not patient. And it's that, that's the exhausting part for me. So now with Kunde, they may not get the time to develop at all. But due to those bloated salaries and deferred payments of some of the veterans and all the players that the club are actually trying to get rid of, I do expect Garcia and Des to be sticking around this season and basically become two of the, of the mules. Because in every squad, Kunde's are going to need somebody to blame. You've got to put the blame on somebody. And, you know, as I said, I'm just already pretty frustrated that so many of the comments about yesterday's match were just focused on those two not being good enough defenders, despite Garcia starting the move for both goals, which, again, is the offensive part of his game. But, yeah, he's a defender. So if he can't really defend at the level that you want him to, then obviously the masks are going to be out on him. I, I totally understand that part. I'm not trying to be an apologist for these two players, but I think they both do positive things for Barcelona and may improve. And I think we're at a point, though, where this fan base if they do improve, if Garcia does start to get some better metrics defensively, or Des does start to improve on his positioning, which I think he even did under Xavi when he came back in the second half of last year, and Kules have already forgotten that. So all of that tangible improvements, it's impossible for us to see that if we're already done and dusted with these players. So again, I just, at 21, doesn't feel right to me. So, all right, that's it for that little diatribe there. Anyway, now that I brought you down, I hope Dembele can help pick you back up from his two goals last night. So here are those five headlines without further ado. Unlike against Real Madrid, and what was a major theme in this match for me, Barcelona against Juventus felt a lot more like a friendly than the El Clasico that we just watched. And for those who've come to hear me talk about the PK reactions, well, you're unfortunately going to be a bit disappointed. But if you came to hear me try to figure out something that might be a long-term theme throughout this season, that Xavi wanted to see in this match, well, you came to the right place. Because I'm going to do my best here to give you the five headlines from Barcelona's 2-2 draw with Juventus in preseason action. One is moments of brilliance. This is one of those friendlies where it's difficult to have multiple headlines. And I think if we have just one headline for the whole match, it has to be about Ulmane Dembele. He didn't start against Real Madrid in El Clasico. That was Rafinha. Rafinha winds up getting the super goal. And now it looks like Dembele is certainly going to be Robin to Rafinha's Batman. But... Hold on here, because Dembele not only put Juve's defenders to sleep, but he scored the only two goals that Barca had in this one. And not only did he score the goals, but they were incredible individual goals. So much to the point that he looked like he was toying. Well, he did toy with Cadrado quite a bit, showing that he's not really a defender himself. And he just blitzed through the rest of that Juve back line, because you don't know where to step, as in to his left foot, to his right foot, which foot does he want to shoot with, and how quickly do you try to step to him before he can step past you and dribble right by. While Des did not have a good day defensively, we'll get to that in a bit, that Dembele and Des partnership does work out better for Dembele than it even, I think, does Des. For some reason, I have no stats to back this up, Dembele seems to defend much better when Des is on the field. And I'm not sure if that's because Dembele feels more responsible because Des defending isn't the best. If Des can't raise his level or Kunde is on the way and is going to play right back, along with Araujo playing right back, maybe they'll switch off. If Roberto might even overtake him on the depth chart. Or if Azpilicueta is on the way as well from Chelsea, then I don't see how Des gets many minutes. And of course, 
If that's the case, the club is going to try to sell him before this summer is done. And much in the death's vein, while he gets a little bit of credit for his work on the goals, that being Eric Garcia, who had a run prior to the first that really opened up the space to help Dembele attack that 1v1. And then for the second goal, having that cross field, that diagonal pass that we know he's capable of, once again, opening up Dembele to plenty of space on that right flank, all by his lonesome. But for those who've been following me for a while, know that many Kool-Aids, especially on the internets, are going to forget all about what Eric Garcia did well in the build-up because of defensively the issues that he continues to have and will continue to have this season until I think he puts together a large sample size, not to change Xavi's mind. I think Xavi's mind, as I've said before, is already a bit changed. He does have more trust in Eric Garcia than I think Kool-Aids do at home and especially those reactionaries on the internet. But that said, Eric Garcia still, those fouls he commits with the defender, with his back to goal, that being Barcelona's goal, 40 yards out, those fouls over and over again. If it was a league game or a Champions League game, he's getting a yellow and potentially getting two yellows for what he does defensively. It's just, it can't happen. It's a mistake that you know Xavi just going crazy on the sideline about. And it seems to me that he also consistently, that being Garcia, finds himself helping Ter Stegen pick the ball up at the back of the net when sometimes those diving tackles make it into the box, but sometimes when you're playing against a Moise Keen, they don't. Two, and headline two being lack of creativity, is that it all had to be about Dembele because in that first half in particular, there wasn't much coming out of the midfield. And it was a puzzling choice, that midfield trio that Xavi picked in Kessier, in Nico, in Busquets. Because with that trio, I mean, Gabi on the bench, and we know Gabi's kind of working through being creative. I was really impressed throwing this out there right now. Really impressed by Gabi's second half showing, where alongside Pablo Torre, two guys who can be creative, it was Gabi that was the leader in that creativity, worked really well with Memphis Depay in particular. So really happy with the things that Gabi is showing, at least in little spurts here, and I expect to see more and more in that as he progresses. And then Pedri, we'll talk about him later, he got the day off. So that left that midfield trio of, again, Kessier, Nico, and Busquets, meaning your creativity is going to come from the long balls from Busquets, or it was going to come from Frank Kessier. But I think Juve did a really good job forcing Nico and Kessier to be these box-to-box defenders and kind of neutralize their ability to play balls through the lines or the half spaces. Instead, it was all about going horizontal. And if Xavi's high interiors, as again we saw with Pedri earlier in this preseason, or Gabi and Pablo Torre in the second half, if those interiors for Barcelona are not getting into the half spaces, it really does shut a lot down, especially for Lewandowski through the middle. And those two were a bit uninspiring, but I do like the fact that Xavi will expect Nico to earn minutes both as the pivot backup or as an interior. Or maybe this was nothing and he just played there to get some minutes so Xavi could brush the cobwebs off of Pjanic. Plus, it was Roberto at right back again, which we can face it, doesn't do much for the creativity on the wings. He's going to be a deliver one really good ball through the middle every 70 minutes kind of guy, and he got less than 30 today. What was positive about that midfield trio, though, was that through the first 10 minutes, Juve did not get across midfield. They had absolutely no options. Kessier, in every minute he has played for FC Barcelona so far, has shown you that he's an elite presser, especially in Xavi's system. He fits. Nico. Even if he's an interior or a pivot, he seems to understand the principle that Xavi is putting forth, and we know, again, what Busquets can do in the opponent's half of the field on that press in the rest defense to retain possession in, again, the opponent's half of the field. 
those three seem to really understand what Xavi's doing. And I think, again, the silver lining here, just being positive in the preseason, is that even that midfield trio, which I don't know how much we're really going to see those three together from game to game, those three could fit well in that press in Xavi's system. Meaning, we've seen so far in the preseason, it's been plug and play with those midfielders. And even with Frankie Young playing center back, there's a lot of depth and a lot of players, more importantly, that understand what the interiors and what the pivot is supposed to do under Xavi. And that is going to do nothing but help this midfield have some kind of stability. When even at the back line, who knows what you're going to get from them and the forward line trying to figure out who belongs up there at any given moment, having stability in that midfield is going to be essential to Xavi's long campaign and multiple competitions. And the final place I saw a lack of creativity for Barcelona in that first half was Aubameyang on the left wing. It is an interesting fit with him out there too. If I was just judging on the preseason between Aubameyang and Memphis, I actually keep Memphis around, believe it or not. But we know that due to his contract and resale value, as well as Aubameyang's age and rising wages, that it has to be Memphis. I just think if we were to take the best of both players and combine what they do from the left and the center together, I think Memphis can offer more as a backup in two positions. But looking at them as players, there's no way that Memphis is going to be the fifth or sixth attacker on FC Barcelona, where Aubameyang at his age, as I said, knowing that he's getting paid at this point with those wages rising, that he's going to be able to just kind of fit in that role and get the minutes when he gets them. Three, it's when Moises Keane attacked. I kind of did already do the thing about Dembele, how he carried Barcelona on his back. And Keane, he didn't really carry Juve on the back, but he did finish. He is kind of knocking on that ceiling of, is he an elite finisher? No, he's certainly not in that category. Doesn't really bag that many goals. But Juve are going to ask a lot of him this season, unless they're planning on bringing in somebody else. And he certainly can get the job done. And for Juve, these were team goals. And so for Barcelona, I don't want to scapegoat any individual player. Again, I'm going to be a bit more accommodating to Barcelona's players because this is a preseason. They're trying to work some things out. And I also think that a lot of blame could go around to a lot of different names. Des, Alba, Busquets, Garcia, Christensen, De Jong, Pjanic all had some kind of issue in their positioning in the counterattack or how quickly they realized the danger and got to the middle of their positioning, whatever it was. But yes, the omission of Araujo was noticeable and every goal that goes in against Barca does keep Koundé on the mind. For a long while now, you've had that other center back next to Pique. You're wondering, can he play that line breaking ball? Can he make the difference from the back? And now with De Jong, again, we don't know how long he'll be sticking around, but if he is a center back this season, you have Pique. You have Garcia, you might have Koundé, and you have Frankie de Jong. All players that can break through those midfield lines and play Barcelona out of pressure. Or, as we saw with Garcia, very much like de Jong. They're able to pick the ball up and get into the midfield and push that line of confrontation up. So you have a lot of players at Barcelona that can do it. I mean, Christensen even does it at a decently high level. We're seeing, as we expected with reviews of him coming from Chelsea, that he does everything at a pretty good level. It's not fine, it's not good, it's better than good. He does everything at a pretty good level. He doesn't really have necessarily an elite skill, but he defends better than Garcia and De Jong. He plays the ball better than Araujo, and he's just all around a stable figure. He's tall as well, more than Garcia, that's helpful. So for Christensen, I think his stability, once again, adding depth to Barcelona, with or without Koundé, is going to be essential to a long campaign. Four is two posts. Within a minute, this game should have been 3-2. Barcelona should have had their winner, but Rafinha hit the post on the free kick, and Ansu tried to chip it in. He hit the post as well on a feed from Pablo Torre. And with those two hitting the post, it did get me thinking about a topic that we should probably talk about on the podcast, and I will, so I'm not going to spoil it here, but it did get me thinking about who the best three were for Barcelona. I saw some infograph on Twitter the other day that 
gave those choices between Ansu, Demelay, Rafinha, and Lewandowski. And as I said, this was before Lewandowski arrived, that there is no wrong answer here. And I think in the preseason so far, we have seen that there is no wrong answer. Between Rafinha and Dembele, they put in the goals. Haven't seen one for Lewandowski yet. We're still waiting. I mean, he'll probably bag one or two. And Ansu as well. We're still waiting for the most clinical finisher. I mean, Lewandowski just changed that conversation. But Ansu was Barca's most clinical finisher last year with goals per minute. And I expect him to get back to that form again this season if he gets those opportunities. So obviously the best fee for Barcelona, it's going to be Lewandowski in the middle. It's going to be Ansu or Dembele on the left and Rafinha or Dembele on the right. I think there is no wrong answer. They said there A, B, or C. Scantron says you're good to go. And don't worry, I, I think I will be in attendance on Saturday for maybe when Lewandowski's first goal comes. We'll see if he's rotated at all. Having started the last two matches in a week, sure. But for Lewandowski, I think he might start again just to get that goal kind of get a little bit of that monkey off his back and be in good shape, be firing for the start of this season. As I said before, not to make an excuse for him, but that midfield that he was paired with to start the match wasn't necessarily going to give him a ton of service. And it was interesting to note that he doesn't really make that many runs into the half spaces for Busquets or Garcia long balls. And as much as that partnership between Lewandowski and Ansu and Pedri in that little triangle right there on that left side is important, I think the partnership between Busquets, as we saw with Busquets and Luis Suarez, or even the likes of Busquets and Luke de Jong. We're talking about the partnerships between the pivot and the center forward. That's going to be just as important moving forward, I think, this season as any partnership that Lewandowski is going to have. And I think it really truly is a work in progress. Two guys that play their way and have played their way for a long time. They are the same age, so they are older guys who have been doing it for a while. And it's going to take a little bit of getting used to, I think, between those two in particular. And as I mentioned before, the depth of this forward line is just incredible when we saw Memphis come in. Again, I don't think he's long for Barcelona, but boy, if he stayed around, Ferran Torres getting healthy, and while a lot of Kool-Aids have already turned on Ferran Torres shore, name me a better fifth attacker in the world than Ferran Torres and Memphis Dubai on any squad. Again, let's say Memphis and Aubameyang stick around. There is no 5-6-7 like that anywhere. Maybe you bring up Chelsea, they maybe have an argument, but their ceiling is a lot lower. I mean, they don't have Lewandowski, and they don't have Ansu Fati at Chelsea. And I don't think you have any other options. So, yeah, it's going to get more shallow when Memphis probably leaves. But now we're still arguing about those fifth and sixth spots for Ferran Torres and Aubameyang. Again, I don't think it's going to get any better. Barcelona's strike force is arguably going to be the best in the world this season. And we're going to talk about the finances and all that stuff later on in the week on a podcast and how Barcelona had made this happen, but they did make this happen. And if all those players are registered, La Liga is in a lot of trouble with Barcelona. And five instead of Pedri and Araujo. I know Kool-Aids will always try to find something to complain about, but this one did feel a lot more like a preseason friendly than the game against Real Madrid. I mean, instead of Pedri and Araujo, Kool-Aids retreated to Pjanic, Nico as an interior, Callado, Pablo Torre, and Marc Casado. I say that about Pjanic, but he wasn't very bad at all. And I don't know if this will be the last time I talk about him, either here or on the podcast, but he did have a few passes through the lines, could take set pieces, but he doesn't really solve almost anything in transition either. He also doesn't move the ball horizontally with the same speed as Busquets. But it's hard to blame him too much for that in this one when his teammates kept changing, and he really hasn't had consistent match time for a while now. The silver lining for a player that should be gone when this tour ends is that he can still clearly contribute at a high level and should have a few suitors at the right price. And by the way, Casado did appear again, which is good for him, and he played at right back once more, not pivot, where he'll play with Barcelona Athletic, so I'm not worried about that at all. Abde came in on the left wing, and Callado also came in on the right wing for the final 10 minutes. And I continue to wonder what kind of time Callado will get this season. Because of Abde's unique dribbling skill, which has been a bit better in the preseason after some fine-tuning with Barca B in the spring, I think Abde may be more useful to Xavi. And again, as I said before, the forwards, as what? 
the seventh or eighth forward. I said about Abde, meaning that unless he finds that Callado's versatility to play as an interior or play as a right winger is that valuable, yeah, I'm not sure what the club's going to do with Callado because it feels like they've almost backed themselves into a corner to say, hey, we kind of did promise this guy if you proved your worth at Granada, which he did after sitting out until January to get a loan last season, that he was going to get his opportunity. And it feels like he is kind of getting his opportunity, but his shirt number, 23, makes a ton of sense to me because out of 25 first-team players, it does feel like Callado is probably going to be number 23, meaning unless there is two or three or four injuries, and yeah, Barca play a lot of competitions, but unless there's multiple injuries, we're not going to hear that much out of Callado this season, and he might even go on loan in January. So that'll wrap that one up as Barcelona's U.S. tour continues on Saturday against the Red Bulls in New Jersey. A game that, as I've mentioned many times, I will be at. I'm excited to see this team in person for the first time in five years. This is my honeymoon at the Camp Nou. Now, I didn't have the exact honeymoon at the Camp Nou. I knew I have to pay extra for that nowadays with Barcelona trying to get money any way they can. But no, I did go to a match while I was there in Barcelona for my honeymoon. Again, Barcelona is also a great place to go on a honeymoon. For all the younger viewers who might be looking in the future to have a really, really nice honeymoon, it's a perfect spot for that. But anyway, I think that means we're at the end of this match review. And as always, until next time, Forza Barca. All right, so that's enough for me for one day. You're going to have to hear from me again tomorrow, but I will definitely be taking a backseat. I'm going to try my best at least to take a backseat as we really go in on the finances tomorrow with an expert in the field. And I'm not saying necessarily an expert of Barca, but an expert of actually just looking at the numbers and understanding the legality of where Barcelona have their issues, their problems, and we're going to talk about the Frankie de Young situation through the lens of the finances and all that stuff. So if you somehow are here in the show left and you don't follow us where you need to, I mean, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook group, Patreon. Again, I think you understand all those places as well as if you're really feeling uh, August, September, the new season about to begin and you need some new Barca merch and you're looking on the websites and like, oh, these jerseys are a little too expensive. Well, we have our own merch store where we've got our own designs, the Barcelona podcast. So maybe get something there. Anyway, most importantly, thanks so much for always for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.